The following was originally broadcast on Northumberland 89.7 FM. For more podcasts and learn more about us, go to northumberland897.ca. And thank you for downloading this podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of Reality Realty are not necessarily the views or opinions of Northumberland 89.7 FM. The information given is designed to be informative and helpful. You should always consult a professional when buying or selling your home. This is Reality Realty, building a real estate-informed community, one celebrated show at a time. After years of exceptionally low interest rates, Canada has been buckling up to take on the predicted slow and steady rate increases. Uh, We've already seen them. That is, until just recently, with speculation that the bond markets are going to bring them back down again. We've also spent a couple years now hearing how Donald Trump was being custom fitted for a new orange jumpsuit and change of address. That is, until the battleground status changed with the Mueller report summary concluding no collusion. And antagonist lawyer Michael Avenetti goes from on the attack to experiencing his own hot water. The Toronto Maple Leafs started the 2018-2019 season giving their exhausted and bone-weary fans a breath of hope. That is, until the second half of the season, when they started to bring back glimpses of bad Leaf memories. Well, in the centre of this very uncertain world, Reality Realty tirelessly brings you clarity and stability as we take on, talk about, and interview guests on all things real estate with a direct focus on Northumberland County and the communities within it. I'm Dale Bryant, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage ProLiance Realty Brokerage. Dementia. Dementia is a general term for a decline in mental ability, which is severe enough to interfere with daily life. It could be memory loss, compromised judgment and reasoning, and most commonly, but not exclusively, a result of Alzheimer's disease. Well, later this morning, very soon this morning, we'll be talking to Catherine Gissing from Sage Relocation Services, and our topic today is titled Interior Design and Dementia, a Tool for Positive Change. But first things first, let's take a look at our snapshot report of Northumberland's residential real estate market for March 28, 2019. There have been 116 single-family residential sales over the past month, and that's up six sales over last week's report, leaving us with an increasing inventory of 386 residential listings for sale. Average selling price of successful sales over the past year remains steady at approximately $417,000. During the past year, people have received on average approximately 98% of their list price in a market time of 46 days, 
Well, Northumberland County, you are still in a seller's market with an absorption rate at approximately 30% based on the past month's sales trend, meaning we have a residential home inventory that can satisfy approximately 3.3 months of sales at the rate homes have been selling. I researched these Northumberland County statistics and I calculate the absorption rate using information from CoreLogic's matrix system. And matrix is the local realtor component of the MLS system. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home, you'll want this information to be area specific, specific to the property type you're dealing with and the price band it's in. So talk to your local realtor because it's them who understands the Northumberland market information that's most relevant to you. Mortgage rates today, as I mentioned in uh, the top of the show, the rates are predicted to go down. They have already gone down. A five-year fix is now as low as 3.09%, and a five-year variable as low as 2.95%. And these mortgage rates come to us from mortgage broker Carol Ann Bryant with Dominion Lending Centers Alliance. Some notices, or one notice here today, um, there's something to put here in your calendar. It's an upcoming tour of the Architectural Gems in East Northumberland. Architectural Conservancy of Ontario, the ACO, Coburg and East Northumberland, is excited to present a house tour of eight splendid properties in Brighton, Colburn and Grafton. This house tour is on Saturday, June the 8th. This is a little ways off and we're a little early starting to announce but uh, time to put in your calendar so Saturday June 8 2019 from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. the homes range in age from the 1840s to the 2000s um, they all have unique architectural features and interior design and tickets which will be available in early April are going to be $30 each and you will be able to purchase them from Lighthouse Books in Brighton, Downey Pharmacy in Colburn, and 1812 Antiques in Grafton. Or you can also call this number. You can call 289-435-2015. And that is your current snapshot of the residential real estate market and events in Northumberland County. I'd just like to remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed on Reality Realty or any of the articles presented do not represent the views and opinions of the station of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors of any other real estate brokerage or realtor. They're just our views at this time. And with us this morning, we have here live in the studio, Catherine Gissing from Sage Relocation Services. Catherine, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Dale. It's been a while, and I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, it's uh, not much has changed here, eh? Nope, looks exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's great to have you back. And uh, we have we have this great topic this morning. Uh, when 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 you mentioned it to me about this topic, uh, I I love it. I absolutely love it. It's 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 about making our homes work for us. And, and for our friends and for our family, maybe we don't need it today, but maybe with someone we know and love uh, could use it. And it reminds me of a series we did 
um, some time ago, I did a series with Carol Ann Bellsmith, and it was focused more on the physical disabilities that people have. And we had a lot of great feedback on that series. Uh, it was it was really interesting, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, same thing. So many people can likely relate to this in some way. Uh, different degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Agreed. So um, I should give you a little context for the topic. Yeah. The, the topic became something that Sage was interested in because <clears throat> our forte is helping people downsize and move. And a lot of the people we, we work with tend to be more elderly. And over the last two years, we started seeing an increasing demand for our services from people that had been clinically diagnosed with dementia. So I should back up and say dementia is an umbrella term, and you referenced this earlier. Dementia is actually 124 different varieties of cognitive loss. Alzheimer's is one. Mm -hmm. So there's 124 different variables out there, and it's a continuum. People can be somewhere on the low end or the high end of that scale. And as we were working with clients, helping them downsize and move, we saw an increasing amount of people that had some degree of diagnosed memory loss. And they weren't at a stage where they needed to live in a supported environment. They want to live in, they still want to live independently, probably with a spouse or with family, but they wanted to be safe in their environment. And so it became a challenge for us to understand, A, how to work with them, understanding that they had some degree of cognitive loss because we wanted to respect who they were at that stage of life. Mm-hmm. So it was a challenge to learn how to work with them and a challenge to learn how to set up their new environment so it was safe and supportive for them. And so that is why this topic is about interior design as a tool to support people with dementia because I think that the, the public expectation of interior design is that it's something that's used to make an environment beautiful. And it is that. And you mm-hmm. and I are the beneficiaries of environments that, that are beautiful. And Absolutely. But when you are someone with dementia, interior design becomes something much more critical and much more tactical. It's about how do you make the environment safe for them as opposed to beautiful. It is two different things, and safe means that they are supported in their environment and they they can continue to live independently a longer period of time. So that's the focus that we're going to talk about today. All right. So so you you basically didn't start out... Uh, with this in mind is just something that's naturally grown in your business then? It it was something that came to us. And I wouldn't say it was an opportunity. It was simply a reality of of looking at who our clients were and the conditions they were living in and, and what their current state of mind was. And sometimes we're called in by a client who's dealing with that. Oftentimes we're called in by um, adult children who recognize their mm-hmm. parents have got some degree of loss and a cognitive loss, and they're not able to help them because they're not here or they don't have time available. Or um, sometimes we're brought in by, by adult children that live in other parts of North America. They simply don't have the ability to be here, but they desperately want to help their parents. And so We started to recognize this growing demand, and so it became a challenge for us to learn how to handle it. And in order to do that, I rely upon my interior design background. I am a, a... 
a, a, an interior designer. I have a degree and I practiced for many years, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I dusted off a lot of that information and did a deep dive into reading about designing environments specifically with this kind of criteria. And then went out and interviewed a number of the leading designers in North America who specialize in this. And so it became a body of knowledge that we then incorporated into our projects. And it was so welcomed by the communities that we work in and by the families that we've worked with that I recognized the value right away. And it then became a full presentation that was delivered at my industry conference a month ago to other business practitioners like myself. And it was really, it was well-received. There was lots Mm. of good questions. And so so that validates for me that there's a growing demand, not just here in Northumberland. We're just a snapshot of what's happening all across North America. And and I'm going to guess, Catherine, that there... There's going to be those situations where maybe adult children are calling you up for mom and dad or mom or dad. But I'm going to guess that there are people that are just calling you up for downsizing and you're recognizing a, a maybe an early component of a dementia. Maybe they haven't been recognized clinically as having it, but you're noticing some needs and likely addressing those needs uh, in, in, in more maybe subtle ways. Yes. And so, first of all, that does happen. And we like to identify it as soon as possible because our services, like your services, are laid out in a legal contract. Mm-hmm. And so if we're dealing with somebody who we, and we recognize that they've got some cognitive loss and maybe it's not identified, they haven't told us, and maybe it's not diagnosed, but we know that they may be at risk, we make sure that we ask whether or not there is a power of attorney perhaps that we should be communicating with. We always ask if there are adult children that they would like to have included in the conversation. And then we often rely upon them as a signatory as well on the contracts and we communicate with them as a backup to the client. So the client is always our primary client and we take direction from them, but it's our responsibility to protect them as well. And so if we see something that tells us that there's a component of risk, We protect them and we protect ourselves by making sure that we have other people that are part of signing the contract and other people that are part of the ongoing communication about a project. Yeah, and and I guess maybe I'm even thinking of earlier stages where you're working with somebody and if, if they were... If they were to go to the medical community, maybe maybe they wouldn't even be, you know, considered in that, uh, you know, in that group of people. But yet you recognize there, you know, maybe because they self-admit there's a me- uh, component of memory loss in that. And so it's, it's so early. I mean, it could just be, it could be somebody very young that just maybe is very absent-minded. And um, maybe same same sort of interior design components might apply. With, is it that? might. It might. Um, the, the other thing <laughs> I'll point out, Dale, is that a lot of the recommendations that we have for clients like this are general recommendations for people as they age. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, there's a larger elderly population than there is a population that has dementia, although there's also a pretty sizable population that has de- dementia. Mm-hmm. In Canada, currently, it's half a million. And the projections for two thousand for 2030, which is not that far away, are that we're going to grow by 66%. Like it's off the charts. And it's a direct response to the fact that we have this bulge of a baby boomer Mm -hmm. generation that is living exceptionally long 
and the incidence of dementia increases with age. And so as a society, we're looking at this tsunami of change that's about to, to we're about to encounter. And uh, so in a very small way, we try to recognize that with our clients, we try to put um, safeguards in place to take care of them. But to your point, some of these recommendations are just generally good best practices for people as they age, mm -hmm. because some of the things we're gonna talk about are visual loss. And you and I are sitting here looking at one another through our glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a good optometrist will tell you that the majority of people who have reading glasses get them in their early 40s. There is just this general decline, and it's just part of aging. It's a natural part. I wish it weren't so, but it is. Yeah. And so when we're designing environments for elderly clients, we always recognize that they're going to have more visual problems than you or me, because we're middle age, sort mm -hmm. of. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> we're looking at one of the glasses and gray hair. Yeah, yeah. we're middle-aged, sure. Mm -hmm. um, but we recognize that in environments for people that are elderly, they have more visual problems. They have more sensitivity to certain things in their environment. They need uh, different kinds of uh, different safeguards in their environment. They need less clutter because they can't deal with all that. They can't see all of that. They need a higher degree of organization. They need different kinds of furnishings. They need different kinds of lighting. They, the retina processes about 60% less light when you've got a 65-year-old retina versus a 6-year-old retina. There's a loss of 65% of of loss of ability to actually process light. Mm. And so that means you see color differently and you see things differently and you see shadows differently. So we make adjustments in environments for people as they age. And then we accelerate that we really um, emphasize those changes for people that have dementia. So, so that starts to speak <clears throat> to the reasoning behind how uh, interior design can be a tool to support those with people suffering from dementia then? Absolutely. Yeah. We describe it as a therapeutic tool. And you, people, I think, again, in the public realm don't think of interior design as a therapeutic tool. They think of it as a tool that provides beauty. But if you think of it, design, interior design is all about making a space familiar and comfortable and safe and beautiful. There are different components to it. Mm -hmm. Beauty is only one of them. And as you age, the importance of the environment becomes disproportionately more important than when you're younger. Mm -hmm. And and I wonder if if in this uh, sector of the industry that uh, do do you refer to uh, universal design when yes. you talk about that? Yeah, because that was a big thing uh, that we did in the series that we were looking at more physical disabilities, and that is, you know, universal universal design being a design element where you're addressing the disabilities. But you're also not making things look as though they're institutional. Uh, you want things to um, look contemporary and, and look like they belong in this age so that you don't end up losing value in That's your right. homes. That's right. And it, it's a really, from a builder's perspective, if there's builders out there listening to us, it's a smart thing to incorporate into the specifications for new builds because it means that the home as a unit can appeal to people at all different stages of life. And you're right, it doesn't smack you in the face when you walk in. You don't mm -hmm. walk in and think, oh, this is a universal designed build. It's so cleverly integrated, it just looks like a beautiful environment. And it might be subtle things, like the light switches might be at a slightly lower level, so somebody with a mobility device can reach them. Mm -hmm. It might be 
um, a slightly wider circulation, uh, like a hallway, to mm-hmm. accommodate the turning radius for a wheelchair. It might be a slightly wider door frame, again, to accommodate a wheelchair. It might be a slight lip um, rather than st- a step that helps mm-hmm. you make a transition from one level to the other. Things like that are very subtle, and if they're done well, you don't even notice them, but they, mm-hmm. uh, they make the environment, the house, viable as a home for people at all different levels of ability. What about the percentage of your business who actually are dealing with dementia? What would you say? 40%. You are at 40%. We've actually qualified it, 40%. Wow. So uh, are are the interior design recommendations uh, we're about to talk about, are they specific for people? and, and, And we sort of just hit on this, but, you know, they're not just specific for people with dementia either, are they? No. They, they would apply to what other groups of people? Well, they would apply to people that have <clears throat> um, a disability. If we understand what a client's disability is, we can design around their needs. So that's one thing that we look at as a, as a company when we're first called into a project, as you would. You try to understand who your client is and what their unique needs are. So because we are downsizing them and helping them plan a new environment, we need to know what their limitations are so we can give them an appropriate solution. But on a broader answer is that as people age, they lose uh, some degree of of uh, their senses and their abilities. And so the recommendations that we make for people with dementia can be applied um, maybe less vehemently for people as as they age. And so mm. a, a classic example of that is color. So we make recommendations about color when we're moving someone with dementia into an environment. We know that they don't see color contrasts well or at all. And so one of the things we do is we paint an environment with that in mind. We paint the door frames and the doors and the baseboards a high contrast color. And so that means when someone gets with dementia wakes up in the middle of the night we know they're not seeing well. We know they're probably not wearing their glasses. We know that they probably have a problem with incontinence, and we know they have to find the washroom really quickly. Mm-hmm. So the high contrast color to them simply looks like a design feature because the door is a different color and the frame's a different color. But it means fundamentally, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they see where the door frame is. They see where the door is. They are able to get to the washroom in a quick period of time, which preserves their dignity and their independence. Mm-hmm. Well, Catherine, we're, we're at break time, and so we will be picking up on the actual elements that you would be incorporating um, when we get back. So, folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM's Truly Local Radio. Join us after the break, and we will have Catherine Gissing from Sage Relocation Services talk about the different components to designing interior design of a home uh, that speaks to those who are uh, dealing with dementia. Be right back.
Welcome back. This is Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And in the studio with us this morning is Catherine Gissing from Sage Relocation Services. And our topic today is interior design as a tool to support those with dementia. Just before we get into this, uh, last week on the show, I mentioned... uh, about a, a listing that I had come across. It was an article, actually, that brought it to my attention. And it was a house in Oshawa that was for sale. It was a tiny house. Now, back in 2013, there was a home listed on the MLS that was just over 300 square feet. Well, the claim to fame on this home was that they, the listing realtor felt it was the smallest home ever listed on MLS at 253 square feet. It was a one bed, one bath on a lot that was 33 wide by approximately 115 feet deep. And last week when we talked about it, it had a conditional offer on it already. And so I looked last night and sure enough, it is sold. They were asking $200,000 for this 253 square foot home and they actually received full ask price, and they sold it in 10 days. So just a little bit of trivia. I I thought it was really neat that, really neat, maybe really scary, that a 253-square-foot home could get 200,000. So as Catherine mentioned uh, on on our last segment, that uh, the incident of dementia is growing at an unprecedented rate here in North America. And many of those who are diagnosed with dementia, they like to um, continue to have some sort of uh, independent living and, and often with family before they actually need some specialized care. So we're looking today at how we can use interior design to make their spaces safe and as supportive as possible. And Catherine, we're going to head into the different elements that you would incorporate now in designing interiors for dementia. And the first, the first one you've already mentioned uh, a little bit is vision. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about vision? Sure. And the thing is, Dale, you can't talk about vision in isolation because vision is... Um, so much part of the lighting in the environment and color in the environment. So if it's okay with you, we'll kind of patch those all together. For sure. So one thing that we know for sure is people with dementia do not see the same as the general population. They have more acute visual loss and they've got very specific kinds of visual loss. So it means that they fail to see the contrast in colors. So if you do it, if you have an environment which is monochromatic, which is something that interior designers often produce. You see that in beautiful spreads and interior design magazines, and you'll have, you know, um, various shades of gray, perhaps a gray Mm. couch, a gray sofa, gray walls, and beautiful, warm, subtle contrast and colors. It's considered very chic, very high design. Yeah. Beautiful design. Someone Someone with dementia does not see that. They see a sea of the same color because they cannot differentiate between where one begins and the other stops because it all blends. It's like uh, squinting your eyes and looking at something. It all blurs together. It's a sea of gray. And so not only is that um, 
unstimulating, but it's dangerous Mm -hmm. because think about what's in that environment. So you're sitting in a chair, you're sitting in a black chair on a black carpet here in the radio studio. Mm -hmm. And so if you were someone with dementia, that chair would be a liability because someone sitting with dementia sitting down that chair doesn't see where the seat is. They don't see where the arm is. Now, you don't have an arm on your chair, but I have an arm on mine, and it's Mm -hmm. black. And so for someone with dementia, they're unstable on their feet to begin with. Another um, lovely side effect of the the, uh, continuum of dementia. And so... They don't see where the seat is. They don't see where the arms are. They're unstable on their seat, on their feet, and they need to hold onto those arms in order to carefully, you know, let themselves sit comfortably in a chair. And by the way, falls and broken hips are one of the leading problems of elderly people, mm-hmm. and particularly with dementia. So now, if you are li- if they are living in an environment which meets our classical definition of inter- of high end chic interior design, mm-hmm. where it's monochromatic, you've now put them in a dangerous environment because they literally can't see the things that they need to see in order to keep them safe. They don't see edges. They don't see arms of furniture. They don't see the coffee table they might run into. So vision and color and contrast are things that have to be thought of differently when you're thinking of designing an environment for someone with dementia. And a better solution, since that's the worst case scenario, the best case scenario is to start fresh and take a look at creating the floor in a different color than the furniture. So there's high contrast between maybe maybe it's carpet and maybe it's a green carpet and maybe the chair sitting on it are a warm wood or an orange color or a high contrast color so they can see it. Maybe the arms on the chair are not the same finish and color as the body of the chair so they can see it. Maybe the chair is not on casters like we are. Maybe it's on four legs so it's stable and it's not going to slip out from underneath them. Mm-hmm. Maybe the back of the chair is high is high enough so that when they're standing they can hold on to it as a stability and, and a, a stabilizing device. So when we design clients for environments for clients with dementia, we think about the stability of the furniture. We think about the proportion of the furniture. We think about the maintenance of the materials. People with dementia have a higher degree of incontinence, which means there's liquid problems. Mm -hmm. And you need to think about higher maintenance, perhaps with harsh cleaning chemicals. So you're thinking about the choice of your finishes. You're thinking about... Contrast. So we talked about how people don't see where edges of things are. So we, you and I, are sitting at a table right now, which would be actually a good choice for someone with dementia because it has a plastic laminate top and it has a contrasting edge, which is a bullnose. In design terms, that just means a wood finish, which is a form, so it's got a soft roll. A little bit rounded. A little bit rounded. So someone with dementia is going to see that it's a contrasting material on the edge so they can see it, which means they're not going to bump into it. They can see it contrast to the color that's the majority of the work surfaces, which is plastic laminate. So they can actually see where the work surface is. And it's a rounded edge, so if they are likely to bump into it, which they're at higher incidence of doing, they're less likely to damage themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cut themselves or, or whatever. So, so the, the contrast, <laughs> there's contra- for people to recognize shapes and objects, you're saying there's the contrast element, but also the lighting. So I just, I can't help but think about maybe a stereotypical image of someone who is older 
with potentially dementia or without dementia, but mm -hmm. sitting in their living room or dining room in low lighting. And because maybe they're trying to conserve on electricity or maybe that's just what they're used to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm thinking now the opposite is true, that they, they need to... I mean, it's not all done with just contrasting colors alone, but uh, likely with sufficient lighting. Yes, and, and lighting is a really important part of making sure the environment is safe for them. And so when we look at lighting in that kind of environment, we think of three kinds of lighting. We think of natural lighting, we think of ambient lighting, and we think of task lighting. And they all have three different functions. So natural lighting is access to a window that shows you the great outdoors. And that's mm -hmm. important because natural light has all sorts of therapeutic benefits. And especially for us that live in a northern climate, you want to get as much, enjoy as much sunlight as possible. There are actually physiological advantages to doing that. So you want to make sure there's natural lighting. Um, you also want to make sure there's ambient lighting. So ambient lighting is general lighting around the room that provides a uniform blanket of lighting. And in this case, we're under fluorescent lighting, maybe not so ideal, but Generally, you're trying to find a uniform level mm -hmm. of lighting. And with people that are elderly, and particularly people with dementia, the general guideline is amp up the lighting. Make it higher because an older eye does not process as much light. So older eyes need more light. We know that in general, but particularly with people with dementia. And then the third kind of lighting is task lighting. So task lighting is exactly as it says, you know, wherever you're likely to be working or you need focused lighting, you have task lighting. But again, there are some guidelines, some best practices to look at task lighting. So it's not just finding like a beautiful shade mm -hmm. that looks beautiful decoratively. It's making sure that it's um, translucent in nature as opposed to opaque. So an opaque shade might be a, a black shade. It might be a dark green shade. And something that is opaque means that, or opaque means that the light is directed down onto the work surface below, but it's not providing the benefit of lighting to the ambient to the mm -hmm. adjacent area. So it's small things like looking at the materials that are part of your lighting, taking a look at the the uh, qu the quantity of lighting, and also making sure it's not universally too high. So that seems like contrast because I'm saying you should have higher lighting, but you don't want to blast the room with lighting because we know that people with dementia are very sensitive to stimulation in their environment. So if the lighting is too high, then it can trigger aggressive behavior. It can trigger confusion. Mm -hmm. So there's this balance between too high, too low, and it comes by observing your client, knowing what their needs are, and designing lighting so you can adjust as the disease progresses. So from a, a practical point of view, that means um, incorporating lighting that has th that you can dim, that you can adjust. So I, I'm thinking uh, from what you're saying, and it, it, it actually would, if this is true, if, you, if you, you're, you're in agreement, uh, it's, it would make sense with universal design as well because it's something that people just tend to like now without thinking about uh, designing for dementia. But pot lights where, where it would be even throughout the ceiling, throughout the room, so you're not creating shadows. And, and when you get into those LED pot lights, they're also dimmable. And, and so that would be a very even lighting and... Uh, 
and and something that you could adjust as yes. need be. Yeah, and that's actually a really good suggestion because even is the is the word that you want to think about here. It is a best practice. So for somebody who has dementia, you want a uniform blanket of lighting. You want even lighting throughout the room because what you want to prevent is the creation of shadows. Mm-hmm. So in uh, in some environments, shadows are purposely created. If you go into your favorite restaurant that's got um, dramatic, a dr- dramatic environment, a dramatic um, atmosphere, lighting is used as a, as a design element to create shadows, to create sculptures of light on the wall. Sconces do that beautifully. Mm-hmm. They're deliberately used with that intention. For someone with dementia, that's a minefield because they don't see shadows as you and I see shadows. They see shadows as a threat because they they can't see it. They simply see it as a black void in the room that could be hiding any number of things that their mind can't process. And so they see it as a threat. Yeah. And, and something like those LEDs, they're soft lighting. And and for, for those who are concerned with uh, maybe the cost, uh, very energy efficient as well. And I'm I would imagine, and I'm not sure if you get into that, but there's different color spectrums in lights as well. Is there, is it, because you talk about when there's too much stimulation, it can, it can trigger some anger, uh, some mood swings. And (laughs) so is there different spectrums that work better? There's a whole conversation we could have about lighting, and I'm probably not the person to have that conversation with, but it could be a whole conversation here. The short answer is yes. Um, And um, if, you know, if I was specifying lighting for a new environment, I would bring in a lighting engineer really to give us some real um, hard facts on it. But there are certainly differences between the kinds of lighting and how that influences color in a room. So, for example, a very clear, uh, easy to um, understand example is designers used to love to specify these uh, bulbs that were called cool white. Mm-hmm. Cool, as in C-O-O-L, white. And uh, it provided high-intensity lighting and uh, great clarity, but it also bled all the color out of a room. And so we in the design industry call it cruel white, not cool white, because it just sterilizes everything. And so when you're dealing with someone with dementia, there's this balance between making sure there's not too much stimulation in a room and too little stimulation in the room. And again, it's observing your client and understanding where they are on on the spectrum. But you don't want to create an environment that is so safe that it becomes sterile. Yes, yes. And and, and that makes me think that so you don't want to go extreme where it's going to maybe just lose the warmth and 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 maybe limit the joy a person can have just spending time in their in their their home but it also makes me think that comment brings me back to contrast because i'm a realtor and i can just imagine going into a home the people want to sell their home they've been they've been aging in place in this home for some time and they went and painted all their trim really contrast to everything else and and now and now the family's going to go into some special care environment mm-hmm. which isn't going to be cheap so they're really counting on getting the best return on their home and they bring me in and I go oh no nobody's going to want to have this home the way it looks here what are there any secrets to create that color contrast without maybe making the home look like you know, 
nobody wants to live there? So I'll tell you how we've resolved this uh, on a recent project that we did with um, a lovely lady who was moving into um, a condominium in a shared facility. So moving into a retirement community. And uh, she had a home that she had lived in for 40 years, 50 years actually. Uh, she and her husband had built it, very, very house proud. She had a real eye for design, but her eye was developed in the 1980s and the 1990s, and the house looked like it. But it was the design that she was familiar with, and it was mm -hmm. the design that really brought life and joy to her. And so what we did in a case like that, and I'm going to answer this two ways. What we did in her case was we moved her to a new facility um, where she was safe because she was at a stage where mm -hmm. she needed extra support around her and she needed to be in a, in a uh, communal facility. And in her new condominium, we found a wallpaper that looked very similar to the wallpaper that she had done her house in in 1980. Now, I can only... I can't even begin to tell you how difficult that was because finding a wallpaper manufacturer, let alone distributor that carries anything that looks like it's from 1980 is a mm -hmm. bit of a challenge, yeah. but it can be done. There are manufacturers that specialize in what's called classic designs. And so you look for people like Pharaoh and Ball and you look for historic designs that are similar, but not exactly the same as you might've chosen mm -hmm. in 1980. So we use that in the new facility. And then we borrowed a color from that wallpaper and use that in the contrast of the doors and the, and the and the trim and the baseboard so it looked so that we achieved the high contrast to help her see but it looked like it was an integrated part of the design solution so you don't have to put dusty rose up against forest green you do not to get you contrast. do not but the other part of that answer and this speaks to people who are trying to maximize the value of their real estate when they're selling the other part of this discussion is recognizing what the buyers are likely looking for in product in the market today and listening to your realtor and relying upon their advice when they tell you that there's an investment required to maximize the market value of your house. And the investment is probably in staging. Mm -hmm. And the staging might, it doesn't necessarily mean carte blanche doing, redoing the whole, the whole home, but it might mean neutralizing some of the interior. And, the, and we do staging as well, mm -hmm. as, as you know. And so the way we describe it to our clients is we respect their home and their personality. The house is a reflection of how they've lived, hopefully a long and joyous life in that house. But we also are very honest with them by saying, if you want to be able to get the maximum value out of your house today, understand that the person buying the house is not you. It's probably a person younger than you mm -hmm. who's been raised with a different set of values. They're looking for different things. And so we're going to help modify the personality in this house by turning the personality down, which means probably some painting, maybe some changing of finishes, certainly decluttering, maybe a bit of repositioning of furniture. We're not going to fundamentally change everything in the house, but we're going to adjust it to increase the opportunity of appealing to buyers who are going to give you the best value for that house. So if you have, if you have a special need and you need to modify your home for that special need, keep in mind that you're likely going to want to modify it again for sale it, it, yes, it's a small expense, but there's going to be a return on that uh, investment. And, and Catherine, we're at our final break. So, folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty, Northumberland 89.7 FM's local real estate talk. After this break, we're going to get into the furnishings, and we will find out what's all involved there. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum, Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest today is Catherine Gissing from Sage Relocation Services. And we're talking about interior design and the use of proper color, lighting, furnishings, texture, acoustics in our homes, and how it can have a profound effect on the mental health and dignity of a person living with dementia. dementia rather, Catherine, I think we're into the furnishings now. We are into furnishings and so much more. We could talk about so much more. So we'll get through just a veneer Mm -hmm. of the things we could talk about. So we talked a little bit about some of the things you can do to choose the right furnishings to to help make the environment safe for someone with dementia. Uh, I'm going to throw out a few tips. Tips are good. Tips. So... Uh, recognize that someone with dementia is not going to remember where they put things. Um, I often don't remember where I put things. Relating. <clears throat> Absolutely. A lot of our listeners will as well. And so some easy tips that you can do to help them find things is think about where they store things. So it might be in a kitchen cabinet. It might be in a china cabinet. And think about the cabinet doors. Now, the cabinet doors are usually a wood door. Easy tip is take that door off, have it recut and refit with a glass insert. And the glass is going to be non-glare because glare triggers all sorts of problems for people with dementia. Mm. We haven't even talked about that, but wherever you can incorporate non-glare glass, you should. It's critical. Mm -hmm. So take that door off, cut out everything except the frame insert a glass insert and now put that back up on your china cabinet and now voila we can see what's you can see what's inside yeah now another small thing easy thing to do is while that door is down before you put the glass in paint it a different color a high contrast color to the china cabinet so maybe the china cabinet is i don't know maybe um oak maybe it's a stained oak so paint that door a beautiful antique white Mm-hmm. And then take the handle off and make the handle maybe a brush brass or maybe a high contrast red, like maybe go whole hog. Because mm-hmm. remember, people with dementia don't remember where they put things. So now you've given them their, the ability to see things. They don't see contrast, so they don't know where the door is on the china cabinet. And they don't know where the handle is because they can't see the hardware. So now in one really easy do-it-yourself kind of project, you've solved all three things. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking, when you talk about forgetting where you put things, I would think there's a, an element of just learning who your client is and what their tendencies are. Because why, why try and swim against the current when you can possibly design things for, for their the way they, they tend to want to live anyways. Yes. And, and that comes in play? Well, it does. And I'll give you a classic example of what that looks like in many of our projects. So in many of our projects, we're actually moving somebody. So we do a bit of an analysis with our clients before we move them. And we take a look at how they use things, how they move around their space, what pieces of furniture they use, where they store things, what their patterns of circulation are and their patterns of behavior are. And then as much as possible, we try to duplicate that in the new space. Now, you cannot always do that because the new space is not the old space. It's smaller. Mm -hmm. It's got different, uh, um, different orientation of space. 
But in a small way, we can try to repeat some of the patterns of behavior that somebody is already familiar with. So, for example, if they have two bedside tables, but they only use the one on the right, then we know the one on the right has to hold the phone and the alarm clock. And we know the alarm clock needs to be a contrasting color to the wood table that it sits on. One of the biggest um, uh, learnings that we've had that uh, that we've now passed on, to, we incorporate in all of our projects is often we're approached by families that say they'd like us to move their mom and dad and they want us to replicate as much as we can from the old environment. So basically they say, let's take a look at the old environment. Let's try and repeat that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So put things together in the same way, put the light in the same place, put the pictures in the same place. And we advise them not to do that. Okay. Because someone that's living with dementia has lived in that home probably for 20, 30, sometimes 50 years. You might just be importing an old problem to a new place because the old house was not designed for somebody with dementia in mind. Dementia was an uninvited guest, and then it became progressively worse. And so if you're taking the same furnishings and putting them in the same place and putting the pictures in the same place, you're just transporting a problem mm -hmm. from one location to the old. <clears throat> so what we advise instead is we do a bit of a time-lapse analysis of, of our client and how they, mm -hmm. how they work and how they move around their space, and we duplicate the things that make sense. And we change right. the things that should be changed. Yeah, yeah. It's just not trying to miniaturize or downsize what existed. It's, it's saying what, what was the goodness in yes. what existed. And let's carry that over. But let's just get rid of the stuff that wasn't working. That's right. That's right. And one of the other things we do is we try to make it a, uh, uh, an environment that appeals to multiple senses. So we know that with people with dementia, they lose lots of different faculties, uh, including it's not just cognitive loss. They, lose, uh, they are affected acoustically and visually and all sorts of different things. And at some point in time, they become confused about where they are and they need reminders about where they are, in some cases at a more acute stage, who they are. And so we incorporate memory prompts into a room. And a memory prompt to most people means a picture. So a picture mm -hmm. might be of them and their family at a younger stage of life. And that's a good start. But there's so many other things you can do. So we think about things like a wall mural that might be uh, duplicated from a picture of a farm they lived on when they were at the, their, their peak years. So it might mm -hmm. be a farmer who is, you know, for many, many years farmed, was very, you know, proud of what he had achieved and every morning woke up and looked at rolling hills. We take a picture of those rolling hills. We have them photo produced as a digital mural and it goes on a wall that they see first thing in the morning. That is a, a clever thing. And, and so it would be... Is it a canvas? Is it a wallpaper? How does that? It's a wallpaper. So yeah. there, there are. You can go to wallpaper manufacturers and flip through books, and you can find murals that are mass produced. But this is actually customized. It's a custom solution that's made according to the client's needs. Mm -hmm. So a uh, farm, uh, farm environment being one, we had another client, and uh, there. Uh, somebody in their family made arrangements for a mural. So we were not involved in it, but it was such a wonderful idea. It's worth sharing. So this gentleman had been a pilot. He'd been mm -hmm. a, a gliding pilot in his prime years. And we had many conversations with him where he would recount his memories of being up in the air and riding in the air and riding the currents. And it, it just brought life back to him. He just so enjoyed those memories. And so the member of the family took it upon themselves to recreate a picture of a glider 
in the middle of this beautiful blue sky with with puffy clouds, and that's what this client saw every morning when they woke up. So looking out from the cockpit. No, actually looking at the glider, looking at, at, the, the, glider. at the glider, okay. because it was something he would relate to, because he yeah. was a member of a gliding club. Yeah. So things like that can be incorporated into the environment. And again, as an interior designer, you wouldn't think that's something you'd put in an environment, but you respect the needs of the client. Mm-hmm. Another s- a small ways of incorporating senses are, think about the sense of smell and how to incorporate the sense of smell as a memory prompt. So if you think back to your younger years and this and the smells that really brought joy to your heart, it might be like candies. Like, like candies. Like, goodies. like warm bread. Like Well that's not just when I was young. <laughs> well okay. Like uh, Christmas trees, like yeah. uh, the smell of your favorite perfume, like for mm-hmm. a gentleman the smell of his custom cut um, tobacco. So we tried to, to pinpoint what was the period of time when a client was at their very best in terms of their mental capacity. And whatever that year is, we figure out what are the smells that are memorable to, memorable to them from that period of time. And if it's uh, pipe tobacco, we create a potpourri out of it. Mm. And the potpourri goes on a table at the front entrance of their door if they live in a shared facility. So when they walk past that door, that may look like every other door in the facility. They may not recognize the door, but by smell, they recognize that they're home. Mm. What a clever, what a clever way to design. Um, never, never considered that myself. All, all I consider smells. Mm. None is <laughs> is typically for home sales. You just want to smell it clean. But yeah. but this is this is not for a home sale. This is for making your house work. That's uh, right. With some degree of dementia that you're dealing with. I'm just wondering, did we say did we say everything we wanted to say on furniture? Oh, it's a whole topic unto itself. And we only have a few minutes. <laughs> and we have a few <laughs> minutes. And so general guidelines for furniture is stability. Um, because people with dementia, elderly people, are going to lean on it, and uh, they're not stable on their feet at the best of times, and so make sure it's got four legs on the floor, no pedestal tables. Mm-hmm. So four legs on the floor. If you're um, including a table in the environment, look for one that's height adjustable, because at some point in time, that person may end up in a wheelchair, or maybe they've got friends in a wheelchair. The height for a table with a wheelchair is higher than your typical 29 inches that mm-hmm. we're sitting at right now. So height adjustability is a good thing. Contrasting materials are, are good things. So you can see the edges of it. Soft materials, soft curves on the edges are good. Uh, materials that are really resistant to abrasive cleaning agents mm-hmm. are good because you're going to be cleaning them more frequently. If you live in a uh, communal facility or even if you live in your own facility, um, someone with dementia is going to need more regular cleaning, and probably you've got staff doing that, or you're using harsh cleaning chemicals. What are those materials? Oh, so materials for like hard materials or soft or materials? Like, uh, I'm thinking upholstered materials. So upholstered materials. If you're upholstering, let's say you've uh, your your um, uh, client or your elderly father has a favorite chair and you want to make sure you keep that favorite chair because it's a sense of feel and familiarity. Mm -hmm. So keep that chair, but reupholster it with a fabric that's got a fused backing that's got a moisture seal. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a moisture seal, it's antimicrobial. So it means that it's designed specifically for more frequent cleaning and more more abrasive chemicals. And you can find these things. They're not uh, available to the general public, but if you talk to design professionals, they'll they'll be able to point you in the direction of manufacturers for those 
those kinds of, they're qualified as healthcare fabrics. Is a leather typically any good? Leather's okay. Leather's okay. You want to okay. seal it. Yeah. You just want to make sure there's no open pores because uh, people with dementia will have more a higher incidence of incontinence. And yeah. so that's just a practical reality. Well, Catherine, I know there was more we could have talked about. Do you have anything in summary? Oh, in summary, there's so much more. But what I would say is that um, dementia is not the end of the road. It's a stage of a journey. And you need to respect where that person is on the journey and be clear-minded about what they need in order to be safe and feel comfortable in their environment. And there are things that you can do to make make it exactly that for them. And if you need suggestions on that, we are always available for a consultation and, and to help. I, I feel like this journey is something that everyone will eventually understand. They can either plan for it up front and, and eliminate a lot of frustration and, uh, and, and everything that goes with doing things wrong up front, or they, or they can start off and they'll learn item at a time what's not working or or maybe maybe somebody will go in specialized care prematurely be and they'll look back and say i wonder if we could have kept you know mom or dad in the Mm -hmm. house it had we of so i think everybody eventually learns it but it's when do you when do you learn it when do you accept it and when do you design for it Catherine, thank you so much for uh joining us this morning and if somebody would like help with with interior design for dementia or any sort of interior design or downsizing services, move management, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'll say first of all that I'm based in Coburg. My staff is based in Northumberland. So this is our sweet spot geographically. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to reach me is old school by phone. Yeah. So 905-717-3624. Two, four, and we have a full website. And so if you Google Sage Relocation, you will find us. And mm-hmm. uh, there is an email as well at sage-relocation. Uh, their dash is in the website and in my email. So it's telephone is easier. Telephone. And, and, <laughs> and likely your clientele likes the telephone. Well, you'd be surprised. A good portion of our clientele are not elderly, surprisingly enough. Many times it's younger people, it's working professionals that are Mm -hmm. downsizing a second property. They're working, they don't have the time or interest in doing it. So we manage that. But a good portion of our work is with elderly as well. Well, folks, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or for any real estate questions, you can also contact me by emailing dale at dalebryant.ca. And I'm an active real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. Don't forget to join me next Thursday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon for Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, Truly Local Radio. Until next week, folks.